Hello and welcome to Scouting the Culture, a weekly podcast series about the Carolina Panthers and their approach to the 2022 NFL Draft. We are a proud part of the Ride Network, and please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe if you enjoy what we have to say. I'm your host, JJ Hardy, and you can find me at Panthers Culture on Twitter. And joining me as he does every week is Vincent Richardson, managing editor at the Ride Report. What's up, Vince? Hey, JJ, how are you? Doing good, man. Doing good. You know, it's been a slow week. Uh, Panthers free agency and you know getting ready for the draft. Um, there's been a couple of things that have happened this week that have been of interest, um, and we'll dig into those. Uh, but um, I think it's it's been a pleasantly quiet week, and and I'm just going to take it for what it for what it's been. Um, we know that since we had the last episode that we've had a couple of signings, you know, one unfamiliar and one familiar. So let's talk about those things real quick. And then yeah. you know, we'll jump into what Scott Fitter, our GM, had to say this week. So um, I think the first signing um, after we spoke last week was Corey Littleton. Yeah. Um, outside linebacker coming from the Los Angeles Raiders. Well, I say Los Angeles, I'm sorry. The Las, Las Vegas. Vegas Yeah, the Las Vegas Raiders. I'm an old school cat. I remember the LA Raiders. Um, but the Las Vegas Raiders. Um, but Littleton played for the Rams before that, and he was in LA yeah. then. Um, I was mixed on Littleton because he was a guy that I liked um, a few years ago, and I think that was like when he was at the top of his game in that Rams system. Um, uh, but I, he didn't really fare as well for the Raiders. Um, what do you think about Little Man? I think, yeah, I, I think it's kind of similar to the Wilson move at linebacker, and I think they're both guys who can start, but are not. I you know that they're, they're not guys who you would build your defense around as long term pieces. Um, but I think crucially, the Panthers were so thin at linebacker. I mean, yeah. basically just Shaq Thompson. That I think, and this is something we'll talk about when we talk about what sort of Scott Fitter said. But you know, it's a move that me that further moves the Panthers away from being in a must-draft a linebacker situation. You know, it, it's, it means if you look now, they've got three linebackers who are legitimate NFL players. They might not be NFL, you know, Littleton and Wilson might not be NFL stars, but they have three legitimate NFL linebackers. They can, you know, they don't have to draft a guy. They, they can draft a guy and develop them. So I think it's a, it's a useful move that does, probably doesn't move the needle that much, but makes a big difference when you come to the draft and you're no longer sort of having to, to, to desperately search for a linebacker help. I agree with that. You know, it, I go back to our conversation, you know, in episode two, where we were breaking down Wilson. Um, mm-hmm. And and I know that Wilson is pretty much, you know, in the same mode of Jermaine Carter, who we lost, uh, you know, in the free agency to the Kansas City Chiefs. So congratulations for Jermaine. Um, but I know when we're talking about Damian Wilson, you know, he was somebody that we could that we envision, you know, that, that they would use on on rundowns and you know even then yeah. even the double tight end sets. Um, Littleton, from what I recall, was somebody that the Rams because I didn't really watch him a lot and you know for the Raiders, but I know when he was with the Rams, I think he was noted for his coverage ability. Um, He's you know, certainly because- a a smaller linebacker. I'm not sure like the more advanced metrics. He certainly, you know, he, he was better with the the Rams than he was with the the Raiders. But I think he's yeah. kind of a an okay coverage player. But he's certainly someone who can who you can give more challenge. You know, 
he's not honestly an elite coverage player, but he gives you more of a matchup option in terms of you know more mobile tight end stuff. Yeah, and 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 that's the thing that you know I really didn't see him a lot with the Raiders. Um, I think he might have played more last season than he did this season um, in their defense. And I don't know what's going on with him because I don't track them all that closely. But um, but I was told, you know, by someone that that the scheme wasn't a good fit for him, you know, with the Raiders. And, you know, and, and so his performance declined a bit from, you know, his height back in, I guess it was 2019. Um, you know, so I'm just, you know, eager to see, you know, what he can bring to the table. I don't know if we, you know, he should be somebody that we could expect to start. Um, at linebacker, but like you said, he is somebody um, like Wilson, you know, who has um, NFL experience and they're legitimate NFL linebackers. And if we need to play them, then we know we're playing somebody who has, you know, been in real games and and um, and, and that you can depend on, you know, to play their role. Yeah, um, can be can be competent if not actively good. Right, and 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 but you know, it it, it had me thinking though. You know, with signing Littleton, and I know, you know, we get into the scheme stuff, you know, probably a bit too much. You know, we I think we've addressed that Phil Snow would like to run a multiple scheme um, yeah. with the Panthers. Um, but I couldn't help but think, you know, that it kind of lends towards a, a more 4-3 look um, with a guy like Littleton, um, you know, on one side and, you know, and, and, and Shaq Thompson on the other and Damian Wilson in the middle. Um, but I think, you know, when we look at stuff like this, it's not – about, you know, what the base defense is going to be. I think it's about, you know, when you decide that you want to run that look, you have three you know, legitimate linebackers who you can put in those positions and they can play that look if you need to. Yeah, precisely. It, it's They're going to be multiple. Most teams' base, in inverted commas, is, is the nickel defense. So it, it, it's, you know, and they could well draft a linebacker potentially. So it, it's, you know, it, it just, it, it gives them options without tying them down into having to drop a linebacker or having to do this or that. So I think it's a, particularly given that it's not for huge money, I think it's a perfectly solid thing. Yeah. And, and so, you know, it's funny, you know, at the, in the 2020 free agency, Littleton was somebody that I was hoping that they would go out and sign um, because of how well he, he played in that Ram system. And I thought he would be somebody that they could sign just so they wouldn't have to draft you know, a linebacker early in the draft because a lot of people were thinking uh, Simmons at the time from Clemson. And I was like, yeah. well, if you go with a guy like Littleton, you may not need a Simmons. And um, so it's, you know, two years later, you know, and, you know, but we still got him. And he's only 28 years old, you know, so he has a little wear left in him, I think, you know, if he hasn't had any significant injury um, issues. And so uh, he's not, you know, to the point where, you know, he's just like some used um, linebacker at this point. I think he's no, no, has, no. he has some good wear on him left. And um, so I'm, 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 I'm excited, you know, to see what he can potentially, you know, bring to the room, um, especially since Shaq Thompson would have been the only returning inside linebacker type that we had. Mm-hmm. Uh, Littleton could be, you know, an upgrade to that, to that role or Wilson. So we'll see, you know, but at least, you know, I think they got better when they signed him. Um, the other on uh, re-signing was Justin Burris. And I was missed about this one, but I'll let you, you know, talk about how you feel about Justin. Yeah, because they signed Burris and they also signed Rashawn Melvin as well. Um, but oh, I think, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, but in both cases, I think the, the their signings for the 90 and maybe the 53, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. I, I, I think they give them options, but you've still got both at corner and at safety, you've got young players who will compete for those roles. 
But again, it's about raising your floor and giving yourself competition and options so that you're not in a in a desperate position later on. And I think that's kind of, you know, I think, again, we can, we can transition to what Scott Fitcher said, but I think there are maybe people maybe have a move or two of more serious sort of aspiration left in free agency, but but much of what they're going to do from now on is more focused on the 90-man roster than the 53-man roster, if that makes sense. It does make sense. Justin Burris was somebody, when they signed him in 2020, um, you know, who was coming from the Cleveland system, he had some starting experience and, and you know, he was like a versatile um, nickel corner slash safety, um, could play both positions. And, you know, he was a starter for Carolina uh, for the last two seasons. Um, he, he, I think he had issues with injury, you know, in both, in both seasons. I know he did in, in um, his first year here. And I think he might have suffered some injury last year too. Um, you know, but you know, he's a guy that I think his strength is definitely in coverage. Um, and I think they, you know, at one point, I know they talked about him, but he even talked about himself as being somebody who could come in and be more of a box type safety and, and, and then be better in run support. But I never saw him really develop into that guy. You know, he was an okay tackler. Um, yeah, I think I think he was sort of a solid at most things, not particularly good at anything. Like he's just, he's just a useful. I think he's probably quite a good leader. I think he's you know a you know fairly veteran guy who can offer a sort of a level of professionalism and do a job, but he's probably not going to massively elevate what you do. And I think that's you know it's certainly in terms of ninety man rosters, those guys are really useful guys who can just set a standard, and it gives you. Know, Maybe Kenny Robinson comes in and just massively blows that standard out of the water, and that's great. But it means right. that if Kenny Robinson doesn't take that step, or if you have an injury or something, you know, you are setting your standard to, to, to be improved. Upon, if that makes sense. Yeah, and 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 that's how I see it too. You know, I, at first I was a little frustrated, and I think it was probably more based on you know like the contract values and stuff, and not that he got paid like some crazy amount in the previous two years. It was just that, you know, I'm kind of one of these guys who were like, you know, we've seen. Justin Burris play you know over the last two years and he's been you know serviceable when he's played you know but with the signing with signing Xavier Woods and you know and I'm assuming Jeremy Chan is going to be your other safety um and you got guys like Kenny Robinson um and even guys like Miles Hartsfield you know who I think is a more versatile piece um going forward you know than Justin Burris can be yeah I agree with that I think yeah I I was kind of wondering, like, you know, what's your real purpose for, for Burris, if not anything other than, you know, competing on the 90? And, you know, and like you said, and if he makes the team, you know that you have somebody um, who can play multiple secondary positions and be a good communicator on defense and, um, well, I mean, at least effective communicator on defense. And like you said, have a good baseline um, for, you know, what your secondary would be if you suffer injuries um, or one of those other, uh, safeties don't pan out to what I, they need to be. I, I think that's what a lot of these moves are going to be now. And, and I think it's what the, the Rashawn Melvin move was as well at corner. And I think it's what Sean Chandler move was at safety. I think in a way it's what the, um, you know, may, maybe maybe some other moves are a bit more more long-term. But you know, it, 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 it's it's creating your base level. It, it's giving yourself a, effectively you want to go into the draft with a 53 that you can then make better without having money tied in that you can't get out of. And I think, I think that's what this does. It, it just, it, it, it gives you insurance, basically. Yeah, and, and, and I can live with that. You know, it was just, I think, going into the third year, 
I just can't imagine a scenario where Justin Burris starts. You know, no, I, I, I don't think yeah. he, I don't think he's been. I don't think there's any expectation he'd start, uh, barring massive injury. I think it's the it, it, it's depth, and it's, yeah, yeah, it, it's. I mean, th- I think the other thing to this is, and we saw this with Ron Rivera a lot. Teams like signing players they know, yeah, because you know, because it's one of the things where because he's offering insurance, you want insurance to be this sort of steady thing. You know what you're getting. And right. so I think they'd much rather go and sign Justin Burris and know what they're getting out of him, even if it's not amazing, than take a risk on a free agent who could completely flame out. Yeah, and, but, and, you know, and on all accounts, you know, with that said, you know, the familiarity is big. You know, he knows snow system. You know, he can help teach younger guys snow system if need be, or even veteran guys like Woods who's coming over and trying to learn it. You know, he could be good for, for that. Um, and, you know, from all accounts, you know, he seems like a pretty good guy, you know, uh, yeah. in the locker room too, so... Um, I'm okay with that. I settled down on it. I was okay, but I just, I was like, man, I would love to have some, just some fresh new blood, you know, back there competing for, for positions just so we can find, you know, new, new guys, you know, uh, potentially in those type of roles. So, but it's okay. I can, I can see the logic in it and and I'm good with it. You mentioned Melvin. I, I omitted him when I was talking about it because, you know, I I saw Melvin as his 32 year old cornerback, you know, he's a big corner. Um, yeah, it, it, mode. but I don't want to see Rashad Melvin on the on the field again. Uh, no, I, mean, I think I think we like Burris and Melvin. It was like when they when they when they played, it wasn't a disaster, but it wasn't an asset either. And you know, if you have a smattering of injuries in training camp and you need someone to start the first couple of weeks of the season, or you know, play that number four role or whatever for the first couple of weeks of the season, it's not the end of the world. But you shouldn't be going in. And I don't think they are. But you know, th- these are not moves for guys to play these moves just in case. And, and, you know, the thing that really confused me more than any of it, you know, was I don't know why you let a guy like A.J. Bouye go so early in free agency to come back and sign Justin Burris and, and Rashad Melvin. Uh, I, I, I would take him over those two. I think they were freeing up money to do stuff that they ended up not doing. I think it's I, the same reason why, I mean, I think it's the same reason why Hassan Reddick walked. I mean, don't be wrong. I think Hassan definitely got paid properly. He didn't sort of, you know, I think they would have they would have struggled to compete anyway. But it's the same thing of they they were trying to create space for Watson, and yeah. and then when that didn't happen, they suddenly realised that actually the cap space was no longer quite as much of a priority as it had been. But right. you know, we'll see. We'll see. Well, well, I mean, they, they, they've got a lot of cap space now, so it's still. There's a chance they could do something significant with it, but uh, I think they could also end up rolling quite a lot of gap into next year. Yeah, and and yeah, that's the interesting part, you know, because every time there's a list that comes out about you know the you know, cap space around the NFL, now the Panthers are like number one, and that's not a position we've been in in the last few years because there's so much dead cap and everything else, you know. But you know, of course, when people see that you have cap space. You know, then they think, okay, we should be spending on some of these top free agents that are still available, like Teron Matthew or Dwayne Brown or, um, you know, a few other names that are floating around in, in free agency. You know, but, you know, they're being hesitant. I know, um, you know, of the, I think, 30 million that we have, it could be 31, it could be 29, whatever it is. Um, I know that 9 million of that is, is for rookie contracts. And so that leaves about 20 um, that can be spent now. Um, but, you know, the, I think they have a plan. We'll talk about, you know, the plan a little bit more when we talk about the uh, the press conference that occurred on Friday uh, with Scott Fitter, the GM. Uh, I didn't know he was even having a press conference. And, man, like, I swear, these last two Fridays for me have been crazy because 
I had surgery last Friday when all the free agency stuff was going on. Um, this Friday, I was actually getting post-op, you know, uh, at a post-op appointment for my surgery on my finger. Um, and I was wondering, like, when are they going to have the press conference? Sure enough, I'm in there, you know, doctor's looking at me, and I see the notification pop up on my phone that Scott Fitterer is having a press conference with me. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. ah! You know, but uh, I was able to catch, like, you know, maybe, you know, the back half of it, you know, because I was almost finished at that point. But uh, but Scott Fitterer, um, he gave us a, a a lot of nuggets about, you know, where the Panthers are, and we know how he feel about what we've done in free agency, um, you know, with, you know, the positions that we picked up and, you know, with the cap space that we have available and mentioned a few names that a lot of fans have been interested in finding out, you know, what, you know, what they hold in the future, you know, for the, for the Carolina Panthers being Cam Newton and, and Stefan Gilmore. Um, what did you think of Scott Fitter's press conference and what were your major takeaways from it? Um, I think the main one was about, I mean, it's, it's something we heard a lot from Gettleman when he was, when he was there. Um, but it's this idea that, you know, free agency sets up the draft and right. that what they've done in free agency basically and i think he mentioned a couple of things they wouldn't mind doing beforehand as well but you know they are for the most part in a position where they don't have to draft anything i i, I think the two things he mentioned that sort of stood out for me was i think you know that they would ideally like to sign a, another offensive tackle i think you know Dwayne brown got mentioned we said before we thought that would be a a fairly good fit um i i think that's something that is to keep an eye on actually in the next week or so but but as we get closer to the draft, just, just to keep their options open. Um, well, let, me, let me pause right there. If you had to choose between Dwayne Brown and Eric Fisher for the yeah. same, who are you picking? I mean, it depends what a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it depends a little bit on what that money is and how long it's for. I think if you're, if you're committing for sort of three years, then I think Fisher. But I think in the short term, Dwayne Brown makes more sense. I think he's a better scheme fit. I think he... You know, his age matches more with what you're trying to do. But I think you know, if you sign Dwayne Brown, it's very clear you're not signing him to be the long-term answer. You're yeah. signing him to be the bridge, to give the team a chance to compete in the short term whilst also giving you a chance to develop someone behind him. And that doesn't, that doesn't rule out going drafting over the sixth overall pick. And, you know, if you give Dwayne Brown $20 million a year, then, yeah, it probably does rule out drafting a tackle the sixth pick. <laughs> but, if, yeah. but if you give Dwayne Brown, I don't know, two years, $15 million kind of thing, yeah. Um, or even two years, 20 million, depending on the guarantees. That's very much the, you know, you're being signed to be the bridge. Yeah. You know, you're, you're here to help in the short term and you're probably going to start this year, but you might lose your spot your year after. Yeah. And I think the, the, the same thing is kind of true with where, I, you know, hearing him talk about Sam Darnold, I think they will bring in competition for Sam Darnold. I think it, they, I would now be relatively surprised if they didn't draft a quarterback. I'm not sure it'll be with a sick overall pick, but I think there is a reasonable chance they draft a quarterback. But yeah. it's very much the thing of we're not, you know, I mean, I've said this before, but, you know, quarterbacks need time to develop. All players need some time to develop. And I think they're putting themselves in a position where, you know, they could draft someone with a sick overall pick who comes in and starts every game, or they could draft someone who sits for a fair amount and learns and develops and they'll try and win with who they have right now. Um, and so I, th I think they've given themselves a chance to think more long-term in the draft. And I think, you know, if, if you look back to some of the picks that we maybe don't think have been great over the last few years, I mean, you know, I think Derek Brown is a, is a decent player who could become a good player, but I think it's going to be, you know, it's going to be very hard for him to live up to the seventh overall pick. Um, yeah. and, and, but, and, and that was in part because they drafted because they needed a defensive tackle. And he was, you know, unquestionably, he was the best defensive tackle in that draft, certainly the most pro ready. 
Right. So, you know, you know, you don't want to be drafting for need. It leads to really bad things. And while the Panthers will unquestionably go into draft with a need at quarterback, that is more of a long-term, more existential need rather than a, you know, we need someone to be out there in four months' time catching balls, throwing balls, blocking kind of thing. You know, you, you, you're not, even with Brady Christensen right now at left tackle, you know, they have 22 starters who are at least somewhat at an NFL level that they could roll out in week one if they need to. Yeah. You know, if, if they get nothing this year out of the sixth overall pick, they will still have, like, you know, it's not going to be, we've seen teams in years past where they just did not have a starters in some positions and the guys were playing who just clearly were not NFL starters. They should have people who have started elsewhere at every position, pretty much. You know, it's, it's interesting you say that because when you peel it back, and if you remove the the trade for Stefan Gilmore, if I look at the whole roster, offensively, you know, defensively, especially with the with the two major additions, you know, to the offensive line, this roster right now, even with Sam Donald at quarterback, looks better than the opening day roster of twenty twenty one. Um, you know, like you said, I mean, I, I, I think you could argue that Damian Wilson or Littleton are as good, if not maybe a slight upgrade over Jermaine Carter at linebacker. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the biggest loss across the whole, you know, 22 uh, offensively and defensively would be Hassan Reddick. Being oh, yeah, by, by a mile. Yeah. And so, like, if you, you know, if we've done enough to offset that with the additions to the offensive line, and filling in those other voids, um, he's a big loss, you know. But if you, if I think there's enough to argue that you're at worst, even with the yeah. opening the lineup from last year, and you could be slightly better because of the improvements on the offensive line, offset the loss of Hassan Reddit. And the fact that what they are looking to do schematically should help limit their, you know, limit the Im- negative impact of their limitations offensively. You know, yeah. If, if you've got a power run game. If you work on the assumption that the weakest thing about your offense is your left tackle and your quarterback, you know, right. having a more run heavy offense should definitely help both of those things. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it definitely, you know, it, it definitely evens that out a bit. Yeah. Um, it, something else that you mentioned, you know, was, you know, the, the idea that the Panthers will draft a quarterback at some point in this draft. Right? Yeah. You know whether or not it's the sixth pick. You know that's to be determined. But they, you know, there's scenarios where we could trade back and, you know, acquire more picks and you know pick multiple positions in the first two days and you know might go with a, a day two guy. You know that yeah. we're not even tracking right now. It could be somebody like Ritter or Howell. Um, yeah. And you know, but but in that press conference, it felt like Federer was trying to sell us on the model that worked for the Seahawks when he worked for them early on, you know, when they drafted Russell Wilson in the third round and they built the team around that guy on a rookie deal. Um, And and that definitely um, suggested that they were willing to, to be more patient. I think, and I'm gonna let you speak to this because I've had these discussions openly on Twitter with folks. I think the thing that bothers a lot of people, you know, with this particular coaching staff, being able to pick a quarterback is that they feel that it's going to automatically give rule an extra year at the very least 
to stick around and, and take that slowed approach with, you know, with developing the guy. Do you see that as being like an automatic thing or? or no, I, I mean, I mean, you know, Matt Nagy got fired after drafting Justin Fields. So I think it isn't automatic. I think just, 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 you know, you couldn't, there are examples of it happening. I, I think I would say the higher they draft a quarterback, the more likely it is that rule gets another year. Um, which is why I think, well, that's why I think it isn't necessarily a sixth overall pick type thing. Yeah. You know, I think, I think if you take a quarterback sixth overall, particularly if they then have the patience to sit that guy free. I, I, I think the issue is, is if you take a guy sixth overall, if, if you end up firing rule, a lot of your hiring process will inevitably become about how coaches view that, that quarterback, both in right. terms of who wants to come and coach for you and who you picked up to coach. And right. I think, the later you draft someone, the less of that becomes a thing. You know, if they trade back and they draft a quarterback in the second or the third round, you're not going to hire your new head coach based on the quarterback you drafted 85th overall the year beforehand. But if you draft a quarterback sixth overall, it's going to be really hard to give up on that investment after a year. Um, so I think it, it, it. I think if it depends on what rule does. I think if rule. I, I think, you know, if, if Rule starts Sam Donald for a year, rests his quarterback, but goes 2-15, and 15, I think he gets fired. You know, I, I don't think you go the, you know, because ultimately, if you look at this roster right now, this roster, you'd say, even if they don't get anything out of their rookie class, you'd want them to win at least six games, I reckon. Yeah. yeah. You know, that, you know if, if you win fewer than six, six games, you better have a very good justification. And right. ultimately, the more games you win, the better. I think if, you know, I think them making the playoffs is is uh, the very upper end of their range of sort of outcomes. But I think yeah, you should be looking to win six, seven, eight, nine games. I think that's kind of the region that you you'd want to be winning. And I think right. you could you because know, I think you can win that with Sam Darnold if everything else goes well. You build a good scheme. You you know you 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 develop players around him. Doesn't right. mean it'll be easy, but that's if you, if, 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 you, if if you know Rule has to win this job back now. Ultimately, um, you know he need, he can't just be okay he needs to be good in year three um yeah i mean obviously it it helps him if he's got some hope to sell about his coaching tenure but i I, you know i think if he if he fouls it up then i don't think they're going to keep him just for the sake of recording and that's what i've been trying to convey as well is that just because they draft the guy although you know you could argue that you know that 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 coach should get some time to work with that young qb it's not a guaranteed thing, you know, that the owner would walk away from this season, even after drafting the quarterback, um, that they have to stick with that coach and his approach. Um, and I don't think that anyone that Rue hired to assist him this year, you know, when you look at Campin and, and McAdoo and the rest of the staff that he built around him, um, I don't think they're, you know, they're the type of staff that you feel like you have to hang on to either. Um, so I think, you know, this draft, if they draft the quarterback high, like you said, it probably increases his probability of staying on. Um, but I don't think it guarantees it. I oh, would hope yeah. That, yeah, I would hope that, you know, that the ownership is objective enough, you know, after this year to really gauge, you know, who he has as a head coach, um, especially with having more experience insulating him, um, you know, in this third season. So it's a, it'll be a very interesting um, year. I know, you know, we're focused on, you know, Scott Fitter's words and, you know, what he was saying about building around a young QB. And, you know, personally, 
that's what I've been hoping for the whole time. Yeah. However, you know, we're in a scenario where there are two big name quarterbacks available in free agency that keep getting discussed when it comes to available quarterback jobs in the, in the NFL. And, and I know people get frustrated, you know, probably from seeing my tweets, you know, about, you know, the speculation around these guys, you know, but the reality is this is the NFL and you have two NFL quarterbacks who have been starters uh, for the last four seasons and Jimmy Garoppolo and Baker Mayfield who are widely believed to be um, candidates for trade, if not trade, then release. And you only have about, I would say anywhere from, you know, two to five places in the NFL, you know, where, you know, those franchises are looking for starting QBs, but Carolina is at the top of that list and everybody in the NFL knows it. And so you have Baker Mayfield, you have Jimmy Garoppolo, um, both would need to be traded for, um, you know, to become your quarterback. I don't prefer that method, um, no. but it's, it's being circulated. It's being circulated. It's being circulated by Ian Rappaport. It's being circulated by others. I know the San Francisco fan base, they're dying for somebody to take Jimmy Garoppolo from them. Um, <laughs> it's not a great, so, <laughs> great, great endorsement. Please take our player. Trust me, he's really worth trading for. He's, he's really worth the, the second rounder that we want for him. Um, but the crazy part is this. There is a thought, and I actually had this thought, you know, myself before I saw it anywhere else the other day. Um, when I heard this Jimmy Garoppolo, well, not even the Jimmy Garoppolo situation, it was the Baker Mayfield situation. Um, Ian Rappaport was talking to Rich Eisen, and basically he was reporting that that there's some some real interest in Baker Mayfield, just not interest in and acquiring him at the at the current contract value that he has, right? They would definitely like, you know, for the Cleveland Browns to whoever would like for the Cleveland Browns to uh, to take on a portion of that deal, and then maybe you know a team. And he mentioned the Carolina Panthers by name, um, or Seattle. He only mentioned two teams when he was talking, but the Seattle Seahawks and the Carolina Panthers. But he said, you know, he kind of favored Carolina in this scenario. Um, you know, would be willing to take on a contract like Baker Mayfield's if, you know, the burden of the contract was shared. Um, we don't know if there's any truth to that. The only reason I even tweet about it for anybody that is listening that is getting annoyed by my tweets about Baker Mayfield, the only reason I tweet about it is because anybody tracking Ian Rappaport, you know, and the way that he speaks about the Carolina Panthers, you know that he has an inside track to information. And I don't think that he just casually throws around the Carolina Panthers when talking about things that could happen in the NFL without hearing it from somewhere, even though we've heard reports from other, um, from local media and outside media basically saying that, you know, that they're disinterested, you know, in, in, in and they're mutually disinterested, you know, the Carolina Panthers and Mayfield and Mayfield and the Panthers. Um, but things change all the time around the NFL. And all it takes is, you know, for the money to be right and the situation to be right for all that to change. Um, I only bring up, you know, Baker Mayfield and Jimmy Garoppolo, because there are some that believe that, you know, all the quarterback uh, pro days that we watched this week, you know, starting with Kenny Pickett, then Malik Willis, and then Matt Cora, the Panthers had all of their brass at all of these events. 
um, for the most part. I forget how many showed up for, for Matt Coral down in um, Ole Miss, but I know for Kenny Pickett and Malik Willis, they had the whole entourage there. Yeah. Some people believe that that was smoke and mirrors and that they were showing up so to show the other NFL teams who are interested in one of these top quarterbacks that they're highly interested in hopes that they might leapfrog them in the draft order and take one of these guys so they can draft the future left tackle. Um, ideally, somebody like Evan Neal or Icky Equanu. And so I don't know if that's the case, but it's definitely a scenario where I think it could happen. And I think it could happen because we're still dealing with a coach who is fighting for his, his career. And he may feel more comfortable rolling out, you know, a rookie left tackle and a veteran QB rather than hoping and wishing that the QB that he drafts would be good enough to justify saving his job. So what are your thoughts on, on that scenario? Um, I think in terms of the brass showing up to the pro days, I think there's very little downside to doing that. Because either you plan to draft one of these guys, in which case you want to find out everything you can, or you don't plan to draft one of these guys, in which case it's to your incentive to make other teams think you are, you know, either to trade up with you, trade up ahead of you. You know, you want teams to take as many players you don't like before you pick as possible. Right. And you want teams to give up as much as possible, both to get ahead of you and to trade up with you. You know, you, you, you want to hurt other teams, frankly. Um, and so, you know, there is no downside other than, you know, a bit of travel for them to go and do this. So I, I think it makes absolute sense, regardless of what their plans are. Um, I think in terms of the, you know, young quarterback, veteran quarterback thing, like, I can definitely understand why Matt Rule would rather have Jimmy Garoppolo than Malik Willis in 2022. Um, I would hope the Panthers have enough sense not to let him do that. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think there's a couple of things here. I think one, I think Garoppolo would win them more games than Willis in 2022, or at least Garoppolo has a better, you know, his average wins based on what we know right now is probably higher than Willis. Doesn't mean that he's the better player to long term or anything like that, but just, you know, learning, you know, most quarterbacks require some time to sit and learn. You know, as good as guys like Justin Herbert have been, they haven't quite necessarily turned that into, you know, consistent winning yet. And that's been, you know, there are lots of very good guys who are still trying to turn lots of talent into winning football. So, you know, that. The, the guy who has been to a Super Bowl and an NFC Championship game is probably the guy who is more likely to, to offer you the, the best worst-case scenario. Right. Um, but, I mean, I, I don't think he may, he moves the needle for Panthers long-term. I don't think he's the answer. I think it would just be a short-term hedge. Um, I, I think the other thing is that a lot of the moves, I mentioned this before, but a lot of the moves that Panthers have made are moves for the next year or two. They have, you know, I know Matt Rule's got another, what, four years, five years left of his contract but they have not been making moves for the next four or five years. You know, the moves they've been making for the next year or two. And I think they're, I, I, although David Tepper hasn't said anything because, you know, he hasn't spoken to the media, but I, I, you get the feeling that there's, there's enough trust to give Matt Rule another year, but not enough trust to hand him the keys to the franchise in the same way that he did have two years ago. Say. Yeah. So I... I would have thought they, you know, particularly after the 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 massive mess that was caused by the Sam Darnold trade a year ago, I would have thought they would be much more hesitant about making that kind of aggressive move again, 
Um, doesn't mean they won't do it, but you know, I, I think that if they had, if they, if they still had Teddy Bridgewater at quarterback, I think something like that would be far more likely because I think they, they hopefully have learned something of a lesson from last off season. But yes. uh, but no, I mean, I, personally, I don't think Mayfield would be much of an improvement at all. I, I I would want the Browns to eat most of his contract and give us draft assets to make that happen. I, you know, I, I don't think I think you're you're taking a contract there rather than acquiring a player. Um, doesn't mean you can't. Again, I, I said it before, but you know, I think guys like Garoppolo, Goff, Darnold, um, Tyrod Taylor, uh, Jacoby Brissett, you know, all all this kind of tier of player, Mariota, I think Jameis Winston as well. If things are right about around them, they can win games. Teddy Bridgewater is a prime example. You know, it was the Saints. Teddy Bridgewater won lots of games. With the yes. Vikings, he won more games than he lost, but still was around 500. And with the Panthers, he had a losing record. And with right. Denver, he was around 500 again. Right. And, 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 it, and it's this thing of, you know, it's the situation. They're of a standard where there are guys like Prime Cam Newton, Aaron Rodgers, who can win games despite their surrounding cast. And yeah. there are guys, you know, Donald is definitely getting towards this, but who can lose regardless of their surrounding cast. But none <laughs> of these guys, you know, is going to move the needle massively. And all of these guys could win in the right situation. But I, I don't think any of them are, um, are worth spending loads of assets moving from one to the other. Yeah, and, and I, I kind of, you know, go back to Federer's words regarding the, you know, in the right situation, you know, because I think he alluded to, you know, what he was trying to build in Carolina, you know, where you could basically have all the pieces in place and basically plug in a quarterback. Yeah. Right. And and ideally, you know, that quarterback can be a rookie, right? You know, that you can plug into the right situation. You have to be patient with them because they are a rookie. I think when we think about rookies, you know, whether it's going to be Malik Willis or Kenny Pickett or Matt Coral or, you know, one of these other guys who might go later, like Desmond Ritter or, um, or Sam Howell, even Carson Strong, whoever you pick up, I think fans should know that you're going to have to be patient with the guy. Yeah. I think what no, I, I, yeah. What's kind of messed us up in the last few years is that, Everybody has been compared to like Pat Mahomes in terms of readiness. And, and yet Pat, Pat Mahomes sat for like this narrative drives me <laughs> insane. He sat for an entire year. They yeah. you know, he, he was drafted by a playoff team who did not play him for a year. Right. So, like the, the idea that the, 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 you know, people go like, oh, well, no, it's Pat Mahomes has changed it. He was so good so early. He wasn't. He's a prime example of how you do this. You build a roster, you draft the guy, you develop them, and then you play them. Like right. the, 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 oh, the NFL's narratives around these things is it's almost like people don't remember what just happened. And right. they go, oh, you know, you know, Justin Herbert. Justin Herbert didn't make the playoffs this year. Lamar Jackson no. didn't make the playoffs. No, or did they make the playoffs and then lose in the first round? I can't remember. Well, Lamar Jackson made the playoffs in his first year, but he didn't play the he didn't start the year. You know, yeah, he, yeah, yeah. He, it was flat Yeah, yeah. It, it, and so. You know, you, you should you know Cam Newton was so good so early, and he is one of the few exceptions. Him, Russell Wilson, and Andrew Luck, right, are, are guys who kind of they are the guys who broke this expectation. Right, but for almost everybody else, quarterback should be drafted and developed. And if they play early, because you know, like Mac Jones, they are ready. Great. If they're right. not, that's not an issue. You need to have the patience and the the understanding to develop them. And, and and give them that patience. You, do, you know, if the Panthers draft someone at sixth overall, the assumption to be that they don't play, and if they do play, that's a bonus. Right. 
And I can't remember, because I can't remember about this part, but like even Justin Herbert, I mean, Justin Herbert had Tarot Taylor in front of him, you know, to at least go into training camp. And, you know, I don't think they had a preseason that year. Um, no, Tyra played the first couple of games and then got attacked by Medic. I know, that's what I, I, I know. Some people on, on Panthers, like the nurses and stuff, hate when I use that term. But I was like, man, they literally stabbed this man in the lung um, in order to get Justin on the field. Um, but, but nah, you know, I mean, obviously Justin Herbert has all the physical traits and things that all the scouts love. And it's translated to um, statistical success and, and, and big plays. Um, but even with all of that, it hasn't translated to enough wins for them to breach the playoffs yet. Yeah, um, and so you know, it's a difference between learning how to play football and then learning how to play, you know, game-changing, winning football. Uh, and there's levels to all of it. I think, you know, a guy like Justin Herbert is somebody who, some people, I'll say some, but very few people were really accurate on in terms of assessing what he could become um, at the NFL level. I think most of us got us got him wrong. I know I did. Got him tragically wrong. I had him being a second round type prospect I had him right with Jalen Hurts I was crazy for that in the hindsight but I was just going off of what I was given and uh I, I think things are like, like Herbert and Josh Allen are prime examples of this and there are other guys as well I mean like I think Lamar's tape was better but but it's the man maybe Lamar is sort of in it as well it's the bit where you watch the tape and go I absolutely see the potential but I also see the very real flaws right now right. and and you know there were some bits of Herbert's tape that were really bad like he had some really bad tape, um, right. you know, and same with Josh Allen, same with Lamar, Lamar and Lamar, Lamar less so, but Lamar, there were some more subtle issues. Um, well, I think with Herbert's tape, I think the things that I saw in Herbert, I didn't get to watch him a lot. You know, I don't watch a lot of West Coast college football. Um, but I did get to see him play a couple of times and I went back and saw, you know, some of the cutups and highlights, you know, when in preparation for the draft. And I think the thing about, you know, what was flawed with Herbert you know, some of the same things that show up from time to time now. He yeah. just, Herbert had a situation that whether people want to acknowledge this a lot uh, or not, is although he didn't run into the Mahomes situation in Kansas City where you had a playoff team that had all the infrastructure built around it and all they really needed was to plug in a really talented QB um, to become what they have become. I think Herbert didn't have the full, you know, team, you know, that, that Kansas City had, but you can't discount the fact that you're walking onto a team with a Keenan Allen, yeah, a Mike Williams. He had Hunter Henry. He had yeah. one of the best pass catching running backs in football in terms of production in Austin Eckler. They had a they had a decent offensive line. They went out and yeah, got yeah. they yeah. went out and got the logger. It wasn't great, but they went out and tried to address it. Um, yeah, it certainly got better last year. Yeah, and then you know, then when they got Slater last year, you know, and so. He walked into a situation where he had a lot of talent around him. So, you know, he's done his part, um, but he definitely had some good veterans at the skill positions that that helped him um, settle into his role and his talents just kind of took over. But again, you know, he's kind of an outlier, um, you know, in terms of being able to, to get success instantly um, in the league in terms of being a player still hasn't translated to wins yet. And so you never know what you're going to get with these young guys. I think, the way that you should approach it is that if you draft one, you want to sit them as long as you possibly can, yeah. um, you know, before you have to play them. And so for anybody listening, you know, who wants 
um, Kenny Pickett or you want Malik Willis. And, you know, this week it became, you know, Matt Coral. You know, it's basically like whoever you saw late, latest is who you want the most. But whoever we draft, if we draft any of those guys, you know, just be patient, you know, with them and, and, and hope that the team is patient with them um, and don't roll them out there until they're actually ready to play. Because for some of these guys, it's actually really bad for them to have to play early. Yeah, get the confidence shaken, um, you know, too early in the process, especially when you have someone on the roster that you can play, um, like Sam Donald, who's currently on the roster, if he's still on the roster at that time, or, you know, whatever other you know, adjustment they make to insulate, you know, this young rookie with. Just just be patient. You know, if yeah. that's the way to go, be patient. Um, you don't have to be as patient if they do something um, more dastardly, like go out and get, you know, another, you know, mid-tier type quarterback, you know, um, and, and keep kicking that can down the road like a Garoppolo or Mayfield or, or whoever. Um, you can be as critical as you want to about them playing and how they play, but but if it's a rookie, just be patient with them and be yeah. patient with the team, you know, but, you know, but as far as how that relates to Matt Rule keeping his job, then we just hope that the people in, in, in power um, have learned lessons, you know, from other teams in, in terms of how to address that situation. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, I mean, but so we talked about, you know, what Scott Federer discussed in terms of we know we need an offensive tackle. Everybody knows that we need a left tackle. Um, and, you know, and people, you know, we talk about Brady Christensen, but I always go back to what you mentioned last week. Is that. Although Brady Christensen could be the guy at left tackle. I just kind of want to either acquire a left tackle or draft a left tackle who they actually can believe is a left tackle. So we can stop talking about, you know, you know, well, you know, he could play this and he could play that. He might be or he may be. No, just get a guy who is and 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 solidify that and just move on from from that. Because I think at this point, the Carolina Panthers as a franchise deserve to have somebody playing that position who they can trust to play that position. I'm one of the people, you know, I made a joke last year about, you know, we know that the Carolina Panthers are serious when they address the kicker situation. When they did that, and they still aren't serious yet. Uh, the reality is serious football teams don't have gaping holes at left tackle or uncertainty there. So try to find a guy, you know. Yeah, that would I'm be nice. That. Yeah, that would be nice. And so we know we need a left tackle. You know, uh, Scott Fredo talked about the QB position. We know we need a starting QB or a franchise QB. Um, but he talked about another position, too, that I thought was interesting, and that was the, the defensive end position. Um, what was your takeaway? Um, from Scott Fitter on that. Yeah, I mean, I think we, we talked about, about a bit about it last week as well. I mean, I don't think it's sort of this need where they need to go out and sign some, some you know, all-pro guy tomorrow. But right. I think, you, you, you look, you know, in the same way as about like Littleton signing, it just gives them, it takes it away as this real pressure need. I think right now it would be quite hard for them to, you know, I can't imagine they won't add a pass rusher, at least one pass rusher between now and the start of the season. Right. And it's much easier to sign like a mid-tier free agent now who can come and compete to start and rotate in. And just if you if you then go and draft a guy, then he moves down the rotation or he offers a short-term solution. But I, I think, you know, losing Hassan Reddick, they haven't really replaced that at all. They haven't, you know, they lost Morgan Fox and they lost Hassan Reddick and they lost Daquan Jones. I think right. Matt Ioannidis gives you some of the interior rush that you got from Fox and Jones, but right. I don't think you've really replaced Reddick's rush around the edge at all. And I think you, yeah, well, you let me ask some you some of that question. in the draft, but you, you do well to sign a free agent as well. I want to ask you a question about a guy that just sprung up in my mind, but he's a guy that I've been tracking and I've tweeted about. 
And that guy's art and key. You know, he's yeah. six foot five. He's like 200 and maybe 40 pounds or so. Um, he had a very productive um, sack year last year with the 49ers. And he's still a free agent. And, you know, when we talk about replacing that production, you know, from, from Hassan Reddick, it probably, you probably won't replace the sack numbers, but you do need that outside pressure, obviously, the Brian Burns. And, you know, Luvu gives you some of that, you know, but I don't think he's really like that 100%. Um, Arden Key is, is still very young. Um, and, you know, he's had a couple of stops along the way so far. I think from the Raiders, he went to the 49ers. To me, he's one of like those under the radar names that could fill that role if they want to continue playing that style of ball, you know, with having, you know, like a, a young disruptive guy who can play on the outside, can also play some inside. Um, I haven't seen his name linked to the Panthers yet. I know he's been on like a free agency tour. What would you think about bringing in a guy like Key? Yeah, I'd be, I'd be okay. I don't think he can really rush inside, I, I would say that. But, I, you know, I, I again, I, I think he's sort of that, it's that kind of level. I think the other guy who I sort of thought of that, depending what they want, someone like Derek Barnett, um, the former Eagles first round pick. Yeah, it, I, you know, know, I have missed reports. I think he might have signed. Did he resign he, with them? Did he, did he resign with them? I, might, I might have completely yeah. missed that. I was looking, and I know we had kind of talked about his name before, but I'm thinking. Uh, yeah, no, he has, he has signed. Sorry, he, he signed yeah. the other day. Yeah, sorry, I completely missed that. Yes, it's that. Sorry, my error. That, 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 it, it's that tier of guy, though. It's the someone who is probably not going to be a starter. Ideally, anywhere similar to the local, you know, the, the the Wilson signing a linebacker. It's you know, it's it's the borderline starter who can be uh, uh, who can add competition. If that makes sense, that it does make sense. It does make sense. He, he mentioned he mentioned even the five tech. Yeah, that, 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 he said yeah, which is basically effectively edge rusher. Like it, you yeah. know, it, it, as in it. It's one of those things where I, I, I think there's enough. It's a deep edge rusher class in the draft, and it's still a reasonably deep um, free agent edge rusher uh, group. So I think you can kind of be a bit flexible, and you can just see who's there and for what money and kind of adjust from there. Um, let, me you, let me ask you a question about five tech. And, and then when he said that, I was like, is there a possibility they can go back out and get a guy like Fox? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I I, don't think it's I know they possible. cut him. I know they cut him, and I don't know if they'll go back to somebody they just cut. But I think they cut him for a purpose, like we mentioned earlier. You know, trying to prep for a bigger move like Watson. Um, but now that that didn't happen, I I feel like you know Fox could still have a, a place on this team. Um, but but I don't know. I was I was just thinking, you know, of of a five tech when he said that like Fox was the first name that popped up in my mind when I heard him say it. So I was like. Well, he's still available. Could you go get him again? I'll, some people may not even want him back, you know. But I thought Fox was useful, you know. Yeah, he was all right. I, I, I think they'd probably. I think what I think you'd probably want. I think they probably would want more of a natural edge guy than a five tech. I think ideally. Um, okay. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think Fox. The reason why I mentioned Barnett is that he's kind of. He's bigger than someone like Key or Lennon Floyd or one of those kind of, you know, he's bigger than Hassan Reddick. He's not just like a, a, a rush linebacker. Right. But he's not like a five-tech either. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's a more conventional sort of four-three defensive end. Right, you know, right. Because I think Gross Matos can give you some of that like big defensive end stuff. Yeah. Um, 
So I think, yeah, I, I think somebody in that sort of that more conventional, you know, a Charles Johnson kind of type size player. You could go back to sort of Panthers past. Who? Yeah, yeah. That that kind of guy, I think, is would give them probably the most options moving forward because you can always draft a bigger guy and move them out to be more of a, a like an edge edge. Or yeah, you mean, could draft a smaller guy and ask them to play inside a kick. So I, I think someone who keeps their options as open as possible would be good. No, and, and, and that's why, you know, outside of talking about, like, the quarterback and the offensive tackle positions, even when I look at the draft, and we haven't even gotten to this to this position group yet, but it's why when I was looking at the combine and everything, I was like, man, I would love to have, like, Trevon Walker. Um, because of what you just mentioned, you know, like a big defensive end type, you know, a guy that's, you know, between 265 and 275, you know, six, three plus, you know, I, I think, you know, that's what, I think that's what Derek Barnett is. Um, I think, I think you go light on that. I think some sort of like six, three, two, fifty five. I think I'd be okay with what I, what I don't think you want is like six, five, two, forty. I think it's probably because that, yeah. that, you know, does that make sense? No, that does make sense because I mean, honestly, that's what, you know, I, I've been looking at Arden Key. I think that's his dimension. I think I think he measures out to be like six foot four, six five, you know, six um two hundred and thirty-eight, two hundred and forty pounds or something like yeah. that. I was, yeah. you know, I was I was looking at him more for the sack production, but I know that that's probably not what they look at. I don't know how strong he was against the run. Um, but he is available. I was looking at all like one day this week, I, I went through all the available free agents and um at least like the top one hundred or whatever, and I was looking for all the edge guys who would fit. And I ran into Key's name, you know, somewhere on the list. And I was like, hmm, eight sacks. Um, I, I, I saw a lot of 49ers fans raving about his production. A lot, a lot of people saying he was the best pass rusher after Nick Bosa on that yeah. front. And, and so I was like, ooh, that would be good to have, you know. To I, I, I certainly there. wouldn't mind it. I think there's still a reasonable number just, just looking through the list of guys. I mean, like, guys like Solomon Thomas are more of that bigger size guy. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, Tack like, you know, McKinley. It was not amazing, but Tat McKinley, uh, Anthony Barr, Mario Addison, again, these are now older guys. But if you're yeah. guys who are more sort of the ideal sort of age range, you've got Arden Key, uh, you know, uh, Kamoko Ture, I quite like. I wouldn't mind Kamoko Ture. Yeah. Uh, Tat McKinley I mentioned. Uh, Two years from the coast, right? Uh, yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, who else you got? Yeah. That, that's, you know, Khan Nassib, Clowney is probably going to get paid a bit too much. But yeah, no, you, yeah, there's there's still some guys. I mean, there's less guys than there were a week ago. Don't get me wrong. Um, right. But but you know, there are there are definitely options um, of players they can get. You know, again, does not need to be for huge money. Just somebody who can come in and kind of push. You know, because you don't who, who who can put in the worst case scenario can push Gross Matos for a starting place opposite Brian Burns. Right, and 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 honestly, that's what I that's what I want to see. You know, I think. Gross Matos is a young guy who has promise. You know, he hasn't been on the field as much as I would like to have seen him over the first two years. Uh, some of that was due to injury in 2020 and last year. I think it was just the way that they ran the scheme and they had two edge guys and he was somewhat used as a more of an interior uh, rusher. You know, but he, you know, he produced, especially, you know, later in the season. You know, we'll see if he can continue to grow in year three. We need him to. Yeah. Um, you know, but, you know, but yeah, somebody, you know, that that can basically – you know, be the guy that can be trusted, you know, um, on the other side of Burns, you know, would be really, really nice and somebody that we can say, hey, look, you know, this is, if not an entrenched starter, you know, somebody that we can trust to be a rotational piece um, as a bigger edge. So, um, you know, so 
you know, those were the, you know, the positions that we heard Federer speak about, you know, with tackle, quarterback, um, edge. Um, you know, he did make mention, you know, some interest in bringing back, you know, guys like Stefan Gilmore, um, you know, if the situation was right, you know, for both sides. Um, he mentioned that Steph, you know, was going to be looking for um, a position, you know, that's best fit for who he is right now in his career. You know, he's 32 almost, I think. And, um, and you know, and he's you know, a proven guy, you know, so he could be looking for a place where he can know he's going to go in and be a, a, a guy that's part of a winning situation. Um, yeah, I, 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 I think the only reason why he'd come back to Carolina is because it's home. Like, I, yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I think every, it, you know, I don't know if you mentioned this before. I don't have to run it for too long, but I think everything else indicates he'd be better off somewhere. The only thing is if the allure of home is that strong. Yeah, and 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 that's you know, honestly, you know, as somebody who's always admired um, Gilmore from afar, um, I admired him when he was in, at home in South Carolina, and he you know, went to high school close to where I grew up at, and went to college at USC. Um, I always wanted him to come home. You know, he came home a little bit later than I wanted him to. But, you know, I always root for guys who want to play at home and want to stay at home and yeah. you know, send their lives around, you know, if it works out for everybody. So I'm rooting for, for Gilmore to, to be a Panther, but only if it fits for him and, you know, it's a good fit for where the team wants to go in the future. Um, I don't want him to waste any of his good playing years in Carolina. I think that's the thing. Is it, it would feel I, – I don't think they're winning a Super Bowl the next year. I'm not even sure they're winning a Super Bowl the next two unless they get very lucky. And I'm ultimately – he, he, he is a player who should be playing for it. He is an excellent player who should be playing for a legitimate contender. Um, right. And I, you know, it's one of those things where if he chooses to stay home, I, uh, you know, who am I to tell him what's the value in life? So, you know, right. let, good on him, whatever he decides. Right. But I, I, I think if it was me, I would, I would, I, you know, you can always come home in a year or two after you've retired. You know, uh, I'm, I'm with you there. I mean, I think it's just one of the things where we just have to figure out know what's important to Gilmore right now. He's already won a Super Bowl. Um, you know, he's been part of that, you know, and and he's, you know, went from the Bills to the Patriots and then he had the opportunity to come home. You know, so yeah, we'll see, you know, yeah. you know, like basically what he values most. If he's willing to give the Panthers like some crazy discount so he can play at home and be in the role of being a mentor to the young QB, the, the young um cornerbacks, then I, I mean I'll I'll respect that decision. Yeah, um, but I no, think he, could, he could definitely, you know, add to a, a winning uh, franchise to, you know, somebody who's postured to win right now. And it'd be cool to see him do that. So whatever he decides, I think, you know, would be what I would go with. And that also, you know, brings up the other guy that was mentioned in the press conference um, who doesn't need an introduction. You know, that's Cam Newton um, and, and what they plan on doing with him. They keep saying that the door is open. Um, I, I do believe, like, that's what they – need to say, you know, until yeah. they have some resolution around the position. Um, you know, with Cam Stan being out there, you know, there's going to be, you know, a lot of fans who are going to want Cam Newton to be a Carolina Panther um, if he's available. And I can't knock anybody who believes that way. I will say this, though, you know, and just to make a quick point, and then I move off of it. I think there comes a point where, you know, we have to – allow for Cam to seek the same things that we want for somebody like Gilmore. Um, you know, if he wants to play in Carolina and is willing to, you know, take some some deal that's really team friendly and take on the role as being a mentor 
and a bridge, you know, and you know that could be basically pulled, you know, at this discretion of the of the head coach when they feel like the other guy is ready. Um, you know, that's that'd be something that I could get behind. Um, but I don't know if Cam is really built like that. You know, nobody does, and I can't speak for him. Um, but I don't I don't know if I want to see you know, Cam just put into, you know, a role where he could be used in any type of way, unless he just really, really wants that for himself. Um, and, you know, on that note, I would hope that, you know, if Cam still wants to play and there are better situations for Cam to kind of come in and prove himself as a player, you know, that he would go that route. I don't want to just give him away to anybody, but I do want what's best for him football-wise because I think for Cam Newton, more so than what we want as fans, for him I think is if he wants to play football I think he needs to be put in the best situation for him football wise some people just because they're going to love Cam and they do love Cam they're going to say well it could be these Panthers because he's never had this kind of offensive line and this and that and so on and so forth I don't think that this is it because you know I think what the Carolina Panthers are trying to achieve right now organizationally doesn't necessarily align with where Cam Newton is as a player um, and, you know, for that reason, um, I wouldn't be 100% for him, you know, signing here because it's the best football um, decision that either party could make. Um, I think it would be, you know, just an extension of the emotions that we carried from last year. But after I saw Cam get benched for Sam late in the season last year, to me, like, that was the end of the, the, the story here in Carolina. Um, yeah. As far as I'm concerned, you know, I, but it, I'm not, you know, obviously, you know, some people misconstrue my words all the time as it relates to Cam. Love the man, love what he's meant, you know, to the Carolina Panthers. I love what he meant, you know, what he's meant to my household. My son, that's his first favorite player. And, um, but I'm I'm kind of at the point right now where, you know, I'm, I'm okay if if we moved on from, from Cam and start healing and growing, you know, you know, for the post-Cam era in Carolina. But that's all, that's just my two cents. You know, much love and respect to the brother. Hope that he finds what he wants, you know, if he continues to want to play football. But as as relates to what's best for the Carolina Panthers, even if people think that he's the best mentor that it could be for, for a guy like even Malik Willis, I think that's really, really, really specialized and nuanced and if, you know, iffy. And, you know, and, and so I just don't want to hang my hats on that. So, yes, I think it's good that, they keep, that they're keeping the door open, keeping the conversations open. But, again, you know, I don't think that it is the most ideal situation for either party. Um, no, I, I, it, it feels like one of those things where, it, you know, if he comes back and everyone is kind of content with the situation, then that's kind of fine. But it feels like one of these things where it – Ultimately, it's you. Know, I, 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 I think there was a you know. I think the best case scenario when you resigned last year was that Cam would be back and that it would kind of be this new partnership moving forwards. I think it is fairly clear that whatever happens, that is not going to be the case. You know, he isn't. He is not going to be the long term face of the franchise again. And I think keep bringing him back on one year deals or two year deals to basically be a bridge guy. I think just draws it out and makes it more painful. Me too. Me yeah. too. And yeah. I think that's what I was trying to express, you know. No, no, I don't know. I think it's, I think it's, it's uh, yeah, I, I just don't want to, to keep, um, to keep picking at the scab. Yeah. No, know, I think that's it. When it comes to the pain of it, you know, like sometimes 
know, you suffer an injury. Um, you know, bringing him back last year, you know, was definitely some good ointment, you know, for that injury. But I think it's time to just let that thing heal. And we'll always remember, you know, what he, what good he's done here. You know, the, the all the great plays and the great runs that we've had. But, yeah, is I, I, I hear that conversation a lot. And I just always feel a little queasy about it because – I don't know if I want to go through the emotional roller coaster of it again. Um, but, you know, so, you know, those were the two players that I know that he named by name in terms of having um, interest in, in coming home, you know, of sorts for both. Um, you know, so, you know, we'll see what develops on, on both yeah. fronts. Um, I think it's, I, I think we're in a good situation right now um, in free agency. You know, the last question I have for you, Vincent, about free agency is, you know, because of the cap space that we're sitting on, um, you know, a lot of people are always eager to see, you know, people spend. What do you think happens, you know, between now and the draft, um, you know, with free agency for the Panthers? Do you think it's going to be quiet or do you think they're going to be active? So I think, yeah, you can never rule out some big blockbuster move. Um, but I, I, I think they do, I think they would like to get another, and I think they would like to have an offensive tackle. I, you know, I, I, I don't get the feeling that they are, that I don't think they view Christensen as the long-term monster left tackle, which I think personally, I think, you know, the correct interpretation of how he played last year. Yeah. Um, I think they would like to have someone to allow him to move to guard and to not have to, you know, well, I, you, know you don't want to end up ruining his development, trying to play him at a position where you don't think he fits long-term just because you don't have right. someone else there. Right. Um, so I think they would, they will continue to explore the left tackle market. I think they will continue to explore the edge rusher market, though that I think has a greater depth of options and therefore is probably more likely to turn into something. But I think apart from that, it's just going to be about filling out the 90-man roster as much as anything else and about making sure that you've got bodies to allow you to go different ways in the draft and not have to think, oh, no, oh dear, we have to go and sign a new fourth linebacker because we don't have one. You're just just starting to sort of flesh things out a bit, really. Right, right. And so, I mean, that's what I was thinking. I don't know how they approach it you know a part of me believes that they're gonna just stand pat and just see what happens you know around the draft um but I think if if they can come to terms with you know one of the tackle candidates like Dwayne Brown or Eric Fisher something team friendly before the draft yeah. I think they'll go ahead and pull the trigger on that you know rather than lose that player um you know and trying to play draft games so you know we'll see what develops you no know, but talking about the draft you know it's yeah. coming and you know, I think we're about four weeks out, you know, from you know, when we would have the NFL draft. And that's the purpose of this show, uh, which is being overtaken by free agency so far in this uh, season for us. But um, as with every week, we talk about a position group or yeah. two. And, you know, we started from what we think, you know, the Panthers are least likely to draft high, you know, to the, the ones that they're most likely to draft high. So we've already discussed um, a couple of position groups, um, and this week we're going to discuss the wide receivers, um, yeah. which is a very deep and talented um, class, you know, this year. But, you know, we also have, I would say, a very um, deep wide receiver room, um, you know, that could be improved. But, you know, but we have at least, I would think, the first three wide receiver positions um, figured out. So, um, you know, with that said, Vince, let's talk about, you know, who the Panthers have at wide receiver now. Yeah. Uh, 
and then talk about, you know, this class and, you know, how some of the prospects, you know, line up in this class and where they could possibly fit on the Panthers. Yeah, so I, th I think in terms of the Panthers receivers, I mean, obviously DJ Moore, they've committed to long term. I think it's a good move. And I think you have probably, you know, I think Robbie Anderson, you'd hope to have a bounce back here and I think should be well suited to this new scheme. Um, he's probably your number two. And I think Terrence Marshall Jr. is going to get uh, at least one more real shot at proving he can be that number three guy and potentially push for that number two role going forward after what was frankly right. you know, a really quite disappointing rookie year. I think the questions start after that first three, though. I mean, I think Zilstra is just a solid pro who gives you depth and you know, is likely to be make the roster. I think Higgins, who they signed from the Browns, I think he... He does some nice things, but I don't think he's, I think he has neither one of a contract you can't cut, nor is he so good that he definitely gets a place. I think, you know, there is, I would be very surprised if Zilstra didn't make the final roster, but I think both Higgins and Shai Smith and really everyone below that is going to be part of that competition through camp. Uh, you know, I, I think for the Panthers, it's going to depend a lot about what happens on the first day of the draft. I think if they pick at six and don't trade down, then I think, you know, receiver is something they could consider on day three, but uh, it's definitely not a high priority. But, you know, it, it is a position where you can carry six or seven guys and you can use five or six guys on game day. So there is always room to draft receivers and to develop receivers and, and build that depth and build that competition. Right. Um, I think if they don't move down from six, I think it is very much a late day three kind of need. Um, maybe UDFA as well as an option. I think if... If they, they trade down, then depending on what assets you have, and given this is a very deep receiver class, you do tend to start asking, asking questions, sort of like, you know, if you, if you think we need another receiver over the next couple of years, it's better to drop one in the third, run, third round now than the third round in a year's time because you're going to get a better receiver now than next year, most likely. So I think this is... It'll depend what assets they have as the draft develops and how the board falls, but I think there are enough good receivers in this class that... That, that, that is always going to be an option, even if it's not a particularly high priority. You know, when, when you start moving towards best player available, receiver is going to be a position that is likely to frequently come toward the top of that conversation about best player available, particularly as you go through day two into early day three. Yeah, and, and, and honestly, as I, you know, I've been preparing, you know, for the draft and, you know, thinking about, you know, what position groups we're talking about for the show. You know, I knew we would discuss wide receivers early because, you know, we've just given... DJ Moore, this big contract, you know, Robbie Moore, I mean, Robbie Moore, Robbie Anderson um, has a significant contract, you know, to be essentially the second receiver on the team. And then, you know, you, you drafted Terrence Marshall Jr. last year in the second round, uh, got Sha Smith, you know, in the, you know, in the sixth round last year, and you have Brandon Zilstra on the team. So to me, like, I thought we had like a solid five that we could count on. Um, Sha Smith, was someone who was in the news on Friday um, for the wrong reasons. Um, got caught yeah. you know, on a traffic stop and, you know, with some marijuana in the car and with a uh, with an unregistered weapon. And, you know, that was the first time <laughs> when I saw that uh, where I had to think about, well, maybe they will go out and address the receiver situation depending on how confident they are in him. Um, right now, he's still on the roster. Uh, which is a good sign for Shy. Um, I was disappointed in in his judgment, you know, during the situation. As you all know, if you listen to this show going back to last season and even seeing my tweets, you know, Shy Smith is a young man from my hometown. I know his family. Um, I know he's a a good young guy, 
but he's a good young guy who, you know, some feel is a little too close to home and some, you know, close to some of the influences, um, you know, from, um, from home that could be a distraction to him. Um, I'm rooting for the, for the young brother. Um, I'm hoping that he gets some grace. Um, I don't excuse, you know, the fact that he was traveling 86 miles per hour in a 55 mile per hour zone, nor having a unregistered weapon, um, nor having marijuana in his car, regardless of how we feel about marijuana, is illegal, you know, in the state of South Carolina, and I believe North Carolina as well. So um, he has to have better judgment. Um, but so far, um, he hasn't been released or cut from the Carolina Panthers. But, you know, things can change all the time. And it definitely didn't help his case as no. being a guy who was, you know, fifth in the depth chart, you know, as we currently see it anyway. Um, yeah, I think it's, <laughs> it, 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 feels like, it feels like the kind of thing, maybe things change the next week and he gets cut, but it feels, it feels like the kind of thing that just puts a finger on the scale when it comes to cuts and that he will have to outperform his equals to get the same opportunity, if that makes sense. I'm that does make sense. And, that, that, and that's, I mean, it, it should always be that way. Um, but it's more um, emphasis on that now. You know, yeah. like you don't get any any favors from coaching staff when you put yourself in, in negative situations like this. Yeah. And, and, I so, think, and I think the other, the other thing to note in that regard is that, you know, it's not unusual that teams, and we've seen this coaching staff do it, draft guys in the, particularly the sixth or seventh round, mostly the seventh round, with an understanding that they might not make the roster. And I think, right. you know, Shire was drafted in the sixth round last year. I wouldn't be shocked if they... You know, if they took a receiver in the sixth or seventh round, they do so knowing that one of him or Shy might get cut or Higgins they've decided in free agency. You know, you create the competition and you you accept that that's going to involve you know losing some sunk costs. I, so I, I think the you know, he was drafted late. And, I mean, the, the one thing I would note as well is that if you look at the the, the Seahawks organization when Fitter was there initially, they were really happy moving on from guys after very short periods of time. If you weren't good, if they if they came to the conclusion you weren't good enough, they weren't going to hold on to you for the sake of what they did a year ago in the draft. You know, they cut their fourth-round pick, I think, after a year. Right. And not and not for some ridiculous off-the-field stuff or anything like that, I don't think. Just just be like, you know, wasn't good enough. Yeah, wasn't good enough and lost out in the competition. So I think, you know, I think Shy, I mean, realistically, everyone drafted day three onwards, it, you know, is going to have to compete for spots. And I think Shy is in that conversation. I think Higgins is probably in that conversation. I think Zilstra is probably just about, but I think he should be fairly safe. But, you know, I think they would like to add competition rather than necessarily adding a guaranteed name. But if somebody yeah. falls, then I think they wouldn't pass on the opportunity of very good value either. Yeah. And, 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 I, and I agree with all of that. You know, you know just wrapping up the shot thing, you know, he, he slipped to the sixth round because of concerns about, you know, his, his conduct or off the field character, you know, there, there were some concerns and he even admitted to that himself. And so um, I'm hoping that this young man, you know, takes this opportunity as a lesson and, uh, and that he grows from this lesson. I do want to see him, you know, in the Carolina Panthers for a multitude of reasons. I'm not unbiased about him. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, some people could be unbiased and call themselves analysts. I'm not. And so, especially as it relates to, you know, to a young man from my hometown that I've been rooting for for years. So, uh, so I hope he, I hope he gets through it. If he doesn't, then, you know, that's what it is. And, and we move on because from a football perspective, it's about the best players on the field and players that you can trust. I, you know, I just, I just, you know, I want to see 
him, you know, grow through this and 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 learn from it and become better for it. But but it's an opportunity, right? You know, it's an opportunity for everybody. And like you said, Vincent, um, this this wide receiver this wide receiver class is deep. Um, yes. you know, some of that talent, you know, could flow into you know the second day of the draft. Some could even flow into early on the on the third day. And you know, the Panthers could get an opportunity, you know, to get one of these guys late, get lucky. You know, you never know what's going to happen. You know, that said, you know, who are your top prospects in the draft? Who do you think might be a little bit overhyped? You know, and then after all of that, who do you think would be a good fit for the Panthers as we currently see it now? So for me, the the top receiver in the class is Alec Pierce um, from Cincinnati. Um, That's an interesting I, name. I, I think watching his tape, it's very reminiscent of Adam Robinson at Penn State. You know, bigger receiver gets off the line really well, gets into his routes well, good at the head of the routes, enough speed to stretch the field, good at the catch point, really good hands, has some value after the catch, but he's just a really good route runner, gets into his routes well, can be that sort of possession plus guy who is yeah. able to offer that security blanket underneath with the ability to still make some big plays down the field. And I, 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 you know, I think Anna Robinson's game has kind of evolved a bit over time in part due to injuries. But I think if you you go back and watch Penn State, Allen Robinson, or sort of early Jags, Allen Robinson, I think there's a lot of Alec Pierce in that. And I was a I was a very big fan of Allen Robinson back in the day, and uh, I, I think Alec Pierce is a is a, a very good fit for that kind of um, possession plus guy. I, you know, I think he's a really good receiver. Mm-hmm. Um, I think sort of the next two guys I've got, and I think of these guys sort of fairly even, are John Mechie the third from Alabama and Drake London from USC, uh, South um, California, not Carolina. Um, to, be, to be to be clear, South Carolina is the real SC, by the way. But, uh, I, I, I have <laughs> genuinely got absolutely no opinion on that whatsoever. So, but I but but, but I will be, be clear for the sake of the, the podcast. Um, very different players. I think Mechie is. I think he'll probably spend a reasonable amount of his career in the slot, but I think can play outside. He's more of a less of a vertical guy, although he does have the speed to, to, although he has the speed to stretch vertically and to make plays down the field, his route running is less about verticality. He's really good changing speeds, changing leverages, creating separation underneath. Um, I think he, in a way, is is better compared to the likes of, say, um, uh, like Hunter Renfro, but it's more that style of receiver, just a really nice technical route runner who understands leverage, understands varying speeds, good hands, um, and I, I think he would be a really useful, um, yes, I think probably probably more of a sort of a slot-focused number one receiver. Um, but, but yeah, another really good, I mean, Alabama, so many of these guys, but Let I think he's... Mechie has been an interesting guy to watch for me, you know, when I watch college games and, you know, and look at him, I've seen on him. Because he's, he's one of these Bama guys, right? Yeah. And, you know, over the years, you know, up until this year, when he was on the field, he always looked like the second or third best receiver on that yeah. team, right? Yeah. And, and I think because they use him, you know, for like, you know, to move the chains and, you know, the intermediate stuff. He had to step up a bit this year, you know, after they lost, um, you know, Waddle and um, what's my guy's name? Smith. Uh, Smith, yeah. And after they lost Waddle and Smith, you know, I figure, you know, like if he was going to be the guy, you know, he would step up into that role this year. Um, he didn't always look like the guy this year, but I do, you know, he's always dependable. You know, he's always, like you said, like a Winfro. I'm yeah. just, you know, the, the reason I stopped you was just to try to figure out, like, where do, where do NFL teams draft a guy like that? I think if they're smart, they draft them early. I mean, I think it's one of those <laughs> things where, like, you know, 
like I, I mean I quite liked Hunter Renfro coming out maybe not as you know I didn't think I'd expect him to be quite as good as he has been but you know these guys who who are able to consistently move the change in college chains in college with good footwork route running hands that doesn't right. stop translating that translates really well right. <laughs> you, you know Hunter Renfro was not some you know I think Cooper Cup was a guy who showed all the traits in college and and did show bits of it but there was a bit more of a projection Hunter Renfro yeah. is basically, you know, he's built upon it, but he was doing this stuff at Clemson. Right. You know, you know and I think Mechie is a really, you know, another one of those guys who was surrounded by more athletic, more dynamic receivers who did stuff down the field. Yeah. Um, but he's just really good at getting open and catching the ball and moving the chains. And that's really, at least, I mean, it's one thing where different people value different things. I really value the ability to create consistent separation and offer, offer a consistent pass catching option. Yeah. And I think there are other ways to get value. I think there are a guy, you know, a guy who I think is a little bit overvalued, but who I do recognize, you know, Jameson Williams is Alabama teammate who, you know, I think is a bit overrated, but, right. you know, he very definitely can get vertical. He can do, I think, I don't think he is quite as good in the air. Um, uh, I don't think his hands are as good as Robbie Anderson's, but he can do a lot of the same stuff in terms, you know, he can give you yak and he can give you a vertical threat. Uh, right. and, and that is valuable. And that definitely has a value. I just, you know, I think often that looks spectacular and therefore it gets hyped. Whereas the right. guy who just catches a ton of seven to 15 yard passes doesn't. And sometimes, you know, there, there are definitely guys who catch lots of passes where it's just, you know, zone beta, zone beta, zone beta, zone beta, you know, run 10 yards, settle into the gap in zone, catch the ball. But there right. are also guys who, who are able to consistently create separation at a high level against man coverage. And I think that's really valuable. And, and, you know, I think he probably isn't a great fit with the Panthers because I think they would probably prefer someone who is more of a, a physical outside the numbers type guy. Um, but, but I, but you know, I don't think he'd be an awful fit either. I think, you know, he, he could do a lot of what Brandon Zilstra does just at a, just at a higher level. frankly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I can see that. I can definitely see that for him. I just paused it, you know, just so I could just really understand it for myself, but also if anybody listening could understand the value and yeah. that type of player, you know, in the current NFL, because I think those players get overlooked a lot. Yeah, and, no, I agree. You know, and sometimes they don't get drafted high enough, you know, because people don't value oh, the teams. And, you know, it was funny you brought up Winfro. Um, before the season, before we understood, you know, what the off- who the offensive coordinator was going to be and, you know, it could be a new head coach and everything like that. I actually started thinking like, man, it'd be so good, you know, for the Carolina Panthers to have a Hunter Renfro, you know, yeah. Uh, because I don't remember a time in the Carolina Panthers history where anybody played like that. Curtis Samuel in 2020 was the closest yeah, thing. To but S- S- Samuel is more of a dynamic, explosive receiver. I mean, Christian McCaffrey yeah. is the closest thing the Panthers have. Been. He he is, and, and and honestly, you know, we've alluded to that all off season. Be nice to see him, you know, be more in the slot and take yeah. advantage of guys like that. He can run all the same routes, you know. But I know Hunter Renfro has been doing that his entire career, going back, you know, to Clemson. And so, you know, if we're not going to get him, you know, no, so no, no, you know, it would be nice if the Panthers actually drafted a guy who has that skill set or use the guy that they currently have on the team that has that skill set. But I digress. You know, that's yeah. John Etchie. I just wanted to take a break to just figure out what his his draft values. No, that's right. I'll continue on, sir. Yeah, so the <laughs> thank you. Um, the, the 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 final guy in sort of my top tier is Drake London, um, who is very in many ways quite different. You know, six four, bigger receiver, 
you know, again, another guy who's got good at the catch point, but he's a bigger receiver who moves like a smaller receiver. He's got really nice footwork um, at the head of routes, creates really nice separation, is really abrupt in his routes, gets into his routes well. I mean, he did have an injury um, last season, so there'll be a little bit of, uh, of sort of development projection there, but I think he's, he's a really, really good prospect um, who, who I think if he's able to take what he did really well on a relatively, relatively small sample size and over a, a not super complex route tree and expand that over a, a sort of bigger, more complex route tree, particularly one that, is, that asks him to sort of attack routes vertically more, uh, I think he could, you know, he could be an exceptionally good receiver. Um, I, I think Pierce and Mechie are more polished than he is right now, but I think he, he's, his ceiling is as high as anyone in this class. I, I, I should also point out um, that just because I haven't mentioned other guys, I don't think that, that they are other, some, there are some other very good players. So just in terms of the guys who I think are just a tick below, Jalen Tolbert, who's a South Alabama receiver, um, I think he would be another sort of possession plus type guy potentially. I think he isn't maybe quite as... Um, polished or has quite the same ceiling as someone like Pierce. But I think he's a really sort of smooth route runner, very good after the catch. In many ways, quite similar to the way right, Robbie runs routes, where it's just kind of this sort of apparent ease as it almost right. floats through his routes. Um, right. But, you know, good at the catch point, good hands, really not quite nice, polished, sort of probably number two receiver. And the right. other is uh, Alave, um, the Ohio State receiver, who, again, you know, I, I think some people have maybe overrated a little, but I think is is another really, you know, Really good route runner, has a lot of route running potential. It would be nice to see him expand it and build upon it to a maybe a more complex route tree. You know, the one thing I would say with Alave is he is really quite slight. Um, yeah. I think there is, I have a little bit of concern that when, when sort of more physical DBs can sort of get their paws on him and sort of really push him around a bit, he can struggle. Um, yeah. But, but, but you know, this is, this is a really deep top end. You know, I think there's probably 15, maybe even 20 guys who I think should be, should be probably day two picks at least. Yeah, you know, Chris Olave, you know, when I look at this class, is a guy that, just based on what I've seen in big moments, he's a guy that I probably would have at the top of my list, just based on the fact that he's always open. And he is slight, you know, so maybe from a measurable standpoint and everything, there would be some concerns about him. But, like, when I've seen Ohio State play for the last couple of years, like when they play big games, like he's always that guy that gets open and make big plays. And and um, and I would think that, you know, that would translate to the NFL level. But I do, you know, he is small. Um, I, but, I think I think I think he'll be good. I just think there's yeah. I think also there's a bit where, you know, Ohio State have an offense that does a lot of things well and they very rarely play teams who match them on talent. Yeah. And so I think uh how can I put it? The SEC receivers who have done stuff in the SEC face different challenges. And you know, I, I think when I watch Alave, I think a lot of his and don't wrong. I realize a lot not all the guys I mentioned are in the SEC either, but I, you know, I think he he's done a lot of stuff where he he hasn't necessarily been challenged at the level consistently that I think you'd like to see him challenged. I think there is there is there is room for growth, but I think he he he's I think he got quite a lot of. He did a lot of dominating inferior opponents, if that makes sense. And by inferior, I don't mean like, you know, FCS guys, but I think he, you know, I, I think he didn't face one-on-one -on -one coverage with NFL corners as much as he might have done, shall we say. I got you. Yeah, and that, that makes total sense to me. Because Ohio State is one of those teams, they dominate, you know, they, they dominate all the teams they, they should dominate. Yeah, the, and, the, the, yeah. the, big, the Big Ten 
does just does not produce the level of, of NFL talent that some other conferences do. And Ohio State, even when they've played out of conference, have not tended to play much SEC football from memory. So like when I've seen him play out of conference, it's been like against Oregon, who are a good team, but ultimately do not have a whole load of NFL corners on their roster either. Right. It's a lot of no, zone. No, I mean, I, I totally track with you. And, you know, but again, you know, I, I tend to just trust the the guys I see that pop on tape when I see no, 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 games and you know, a lot is one of these guys that I'm like, okay, yeah, I can see it. But you didn't say that he was, you know, like definitely out of the top wide receivers. And, and no, he's I, my number five receiver. He's, he's yeah. he'll be a top, almost certainly be a top 30 prospect. Yeah. And I, and I, I do think some NFL team is going to take a, a chance on him probably ahead of some of these guys that we, that we believe are at the top. And so, um, but we'll see how that happens. I know you said that, you know, um, you know, you mentioned a lot of it being, you know, not quite overhyped, but, you know, but we know, we know that there are definitely some overhyped guys. So who are those guys for you? So, I, I mean, when I should say overhyped, I don't think there's anyone who, whereas at some positions there are players who are sort of talked about sort of first-round picks who I just don't see it at all. I think yeah. it's more that there are quite a lot of guys in this class where they're being talked about. I think there are better options. I think the strength of this class means that they will be lower than they would be in other classes. Um, so one of those is Garrett Wilson, the other Ohio State receiver, who, again, I think I have as my number six receiver and will probably be a top 32 prospect for me. But I, I don't think I would find it quite hard to take him. You know, he's been talked about as a top 10 you know, top ten pick potentially. And I think there, one, I don't think he is that good. Also, I think there are enough receivers who are at least of the same kind of level that I would find it, I find it odd that he is being talked about as clearly a cut above some of the others. So I think he's, again, very good receiver, will almost certainly be a top 32 prospect for me. Um, I just don't think he's a top 10 pick. Um, I mentioned him already, Jameson Williams, the Alabama guy. Um, Again, does what he does really well. I just don't think, you know, again, another guy who I think should probably be a, probably he should be an early sort of early midday, you know, early mid second round pick. Um, but he's being talked about like a top 20 prospect. And I'm not sure I see that on tape. I think there, I don't, I, I think what he does, he's really good at, but I think he, he does not offer you a diversity of skill set um, to, to take him quite that high. Yeah. Um, and the other guy is Traylon Burks, the Arkansas receiver, who, you know, Demeron had great production, a lot of athletic potential, real project guy. It's just that when you've got so many fairly polished receivers, I find it hard to justify taking a project guy that high. Um, yeah, the other guy to mention in that regard is um, is is Watson, the North Dakota State receiver, who again is another guy. Yeah, tons of potential, shows some really nice stuff. Definitely could understand why a team will take him. You know, sometime on day two, maybe to even second round. Um, I just think, given some of the other receivers who are available, I find it hard to understand why you would take him markedly higher than some of the players who you could probably get a bit later. You know, uh, you know. The, the gap between him, say, and a, um, you know, I, I think he's physically a different type of receiver, but but I think the gap between him and someone like a Jahan Dotson or, or even like a Sky Moore, I don't think there is that much of a gap, certainly not to the extent that their current draft stops would indicate. Now, where do you see a guy like um, Pickens from Georgia? Where does he fit in this in this conversation? I think he's in the same sort of tier as guys like Burks and, and, and Watson for me. Um, yeah. I think there's definitely potential there. I think there is some stuff that needs working on. Uh, I think he's probably someone who should be taken probably mid third rounds, that kind of region. I think that if you take him at that sort of range, I think that would be a good value pick. Yeah. Um, 
it's just that given the number of really good receivers in this class, he obviously, you know, it's one of the things where, you know, the receivers are different types. They're not the same thing. Different teams need different things. The Panthers right. clearly would benefit most from someone who can work the intermediate routes better. You know, DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson are excellent going vertical. If right. Terrence Marshall Jr. works out, maybe he can be that guy, but it is someone who can, who can be more of that intermediate possession type receiver. So yeah. however good Jamison Williams is, I don't think it makes sense for the Panthers. You know, and, and you know, the same way that I, I, I think adding a really small sort of shifty slot receiver probably doesn't make tons of sense either. Because you know, I think Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore can give you some of that. I think if Shai Smith plays, he can give you some of that. So I, you know, I, I think it's about finding who fits and having a diversity of skill set in your room. Um, So obviously, if what you think you really need is a big receiver, because you have a load of small guys and you want someone who can be a vertical threat with size, then obviously Burks and Watson will be more valuable to you than someone like Austin or uh, Wanda Robinson, for example, who are, you know, 5'8", 5'9". However, given that, once you start to control for that, I think they are better receivers, or at least as good receivers. They just uh, aren't getting as much love. And I think, you know, if you're the Panthers and we're talking about sort of this best player available type approach, if they are, if, you know, if they do trade down, say, and get a late day two pick, you just wait and see and you sit your board and you just wait and see who falls rather than massively prioritizing, you know, if, if you're sitting there and there's, you know, uh, Alec Pierce, John Mechie and Drake London all there with a 60th pick, just take, you know, and you've got the 90th pick, just wait, just wait and see which guy, you know, just, just, yeah. Or, or even if you, you know, obviously that's an extreme example, but you know, just yeah. just just wait. And d- d- I don't think you should be prioritizing. Oh, we have to get this guy because there's, there's enough guys that the difference is small enough that you just wait and see who falls. I wouldn't. I, I don't understand why a team outside of clear sort of stylistic needs um, would be really pushing to get a Traylon Burks over, say, waiting and getting a Jahan Dotson. Or, or, or you know, a Jameson Williams or a John Mechie or, you know, I, 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 I don't think those guys, other than style, have much of a, a case to be taken on. I'm with you. You know, I think the one of the other things to watch for in this draft, and I know it's, it's kind of trendy right now, and I don't know which of these receivers best fits this description, but everybody wants to get them a Debo Sammy. And... And I don't know how much that's going to play into how teams approach, you know, the wide receiver draft. I think most people just stick to their guns and, you know, whatever they they feel about the position. But, you know, you could see a couple of reaches for guys who they feel like could be, you know, those chess pieces like that. So, yeah, I, 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 the NFL always has these trends. I, I would be very cautious about them. Right. Um, you know, I, I, I think, you, you know, it's easy to go. Oh no, we should we should get a running back like X, or we should get a receiver like X. But those things are generally much easier said than done, and often you often you end up focusing on the wrong things when you try and do that. Yeah, I, I, you know, either you sort of go, okay, we want someone like this, so who fits that size and weight, rather right. than you know who fits them stylistically, or who would be able to be used in the same way in your offense. You know, it, it, it's. It's very easy to think about things that aren't particularly important that just happen to remind you of stuff. I think that's yeah. one of the big things with scouting is often you see something, oh yeah, that reminds me of that. And then you have to sort of really think about it and go, are they actually playing like that or do they just have a similar kind of you know mannerism? Yeah, um, and, and that's the crazy part, right? I think, and I think oftentimes it just doesn't end justice to the guy that they're comparing everyone to. Sometimes, yeah. you know, 
Debo Samuels is, is he's Debo Samuel because he's Debo Samuel. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And, and so you know he's uniquely built, you know, as a player from a mentality and a physicality standpoint that's different than other guys. He looks like somebody who compares because you know you can find a guy that's six foot, two hundred and ten pounds and runs a four four five. You know, yeah. you can find a few guys like that, but it doesn't also make them Debo Samuel. Right, just like you know finding a guy that sits one. You know that runs a a four seven forty doesn't you know you're not gonna that that was Jerry Rice you're not gonna find every guy who with those measurements be Jerry Rice no you know it takes a certain type of mentality to become good at you know several different things and you know Debo had traits that some scouts saw and you know particularly Kyle Shanahan saw everybody he let everybody know he saw it and he picked it and they figured out a way to to maximize that yeah. Um, so I just think that, you know, they, with this trendy stuff going on, like let's find us a Debo, find us a Debo. I see the NFL network, you know, they always say that. Um, but, you know, so I think some people, they'll make a reach for guys who they think can be like, like a Debo. Um, even within Panthers Nation, you know, they feel like, you know, um, DJ Moore is like our Debo. You know, in my mind, we've had this discussion before. No, um, he's, 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 he, I think the comp for him is Jamar Chase. Yeah, I think that, I gonna, that's the player yeah. I would be thinking about. And that's what I was going to bring up. You know, I, I think that's so accurate. You know, the fact that, you know, we have a Jamar Chase on the team. You know, we just have to figure out ways to put him in position to be more explosive, to use his skills in a better way um, than what we've used so far. And I think we should be good with that. And, and Chris McCaffrey is probably not like a Debo, but Chris McCaffrey can be used in a lot of the same ways that Debo is used. We don't have to go and looking for that. You know, we in a unique situation where we have special guys of our own, yeah. right? So now it's about finding those special guys that we already have a quarterback, you know, yeah. so we can maximize them. Um, so, you know, we talked about the top wide receiver prospects, we talked about, you know, some of the guys who not necessarily overhyped, but, you know, they're getting a lot of attention, um, you know, based on, you know, name recognition and things like that, but, you know, don't always show up or don't necessarily fit um, what a lot of teams need. And so especially our team. So, you know, who would fit, you know, the Carolina Panthers based on where we could be drafting that for wide receiver? Like who are the guys that would be in that range that could, that we could use? So I think, you know, I would point out that you know, some of the players will, like someone in that top group will fall. Right. Um and, you know, depending on who it is, that could make sense. Like, you know, I know I mentioned Alec, Alec Pierce is my top receiver, but he also right. would be a very good fit for the Panthers. And if he right. is the guy that falls and you have a chance to grab him in the third round, grab yeah. him in the third round. Right. You know, you know, you know, you know, it's one of those things where particularly, you know, the, the great thing about what the Panthers have done in free agency is it allows you to go and do that because you're right. not having to worry. If you, you know, if they trade down and they have a third round pick and he's available, take him. Right. Because you, you you know you you do, if you've traded you know where they are in free agency they don't have to go and add any one position you're not going to have to reach for positional value for for what you need you can just take the best guy so right. so whether that's Pierce or whether that's someone else in that top group if someone falls and you have him high on your board and you think he's the best player available take him um, in terms of guys who would stylistically fit what the Panthers need I think the best late round option for me is Ameka Amezi um, the okay. NC State receiver who. Yeah. You know, it does not have the downfield explosion. It's not the athlete that, that say, some someone like um, Pierce is, but is a, a bigger receiver who uses his body well, creates separation at the catch point, has good hands, contests at the catch point as well. Um, you know, can just be that underneath possession guy. 
Um, I think he, his, his role has kind of evolved a bit um, at NC State over time. And I think, you know, he is, a, he is, you know, he is an older prospect, um, but I think he's just a really solid pro who can come in and, and do a job. And, and again, as we talked about with someone like Burris, can just raise that bar for others to have to get over. Um, and I think you're taking someone in the seventh round or the sixth round. I think that's a, a really valuable thing to get. Um, so I think if they are going late round, my pick would be a Mecca Messi. Oh, and, and and I'm sure a lot of you know the Carolina fans, the ones who follow NC State, would would be in love with that pick because I'm sure they've seen a lot of him. Um, well, I think that that pretty much wraps up the class. There are other receivers that that are out there that we didn't discuss. Um, you know, sure that they're all are talented. Um, just not enough time to talk about a position group that is as deep as the receiver group is. Um, but I think we covered, you know, the, the ones that most people would be interested in. Uh, you know, this was a good episode, uh, you know, in, in the fact that we got to discuss, you know, the the third week of free agency, I guess it was the second full week of free agency going into the third week. Um, you know, where the Carolina Panthers are currently in free agency and kind of what to expect between now and the draft as it relates to free agency. We talked about, you know, the guys that we signed. Um, you know, and, 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 and kind of what you just mentioned, you know, when talking about Amezi, you know, and, you know, we, we're signing guys at this point that kind of raises the floor, you know, for where this roster stands in Carolina and just kind of keeping to uh, the messaging coming from the general manager, you know, they're trying to set up a roster, you know, that is an ideal roster to place any kind of quarterback in and be successful. And we know that every quarterback or any kind of quarterback can't be successful, um, but their idea is to finding a good quarterback, you know, that they can build around for years. And, and I hope that we can achieve that. And so um, that's what free agency has yielded to this point. You know, the messaging from Scott Fitterer, you know, is yielding that, you know, we hoping, you know, that they can stick to that plan. Um, this position group, you know, for the week was wide receivers. You know, we talked about the guys that we thought were at the top of that, that class and Pierce, Mechie, London, um, even mentioned Olave, you know, went on to the guys who could be a little overhyped and, you know, and Garrett Wilson, uh, Jameson Williams and, and Burks, you know, we're not saying that any of those guys are, are bad. You know, I think in that category last year, when we discussed, you know, the guys who might be a little overhyped, that's where we had Terrace Marshall Jr. <laughs> and so, yeah. uh, and so, you know, I guess you could take that for what it's worth, you know, so, you know, we're talking about these guys and you never know, uh, which one of these guys are going to fall into your lap. But, you know, I could say that at least on the field, you know, it, Terrence Marshall Jr. hasn't outplayed that designation yet. <laughs> and so no. we're, just hoping that, we're hoping that he does, and but we're hoping that he also gets a quarterback that helps him do that. And um, so we'll see, man. But, again, um, very good discussion this week. Uh, I, I thank you for joining me again. Vincent is always great. Um, and like one, thing that, one thing that you all don't get to uh, – a chance to, to hear is all the stuff we get to talk about before we get started with the actual show. And so, uh, you know, we actually spend quite a bit of time together. <laughs> um, and so maybe we need a separate show for that, but we probably get in trouble for it. Um, you know, but it's, it's always good. It's always good spending this time with you. Um, and now I got to prepare for, for um, Sunday dinner. Um, but nevertheless, um, for all the people listening, you know, thank you for taking time to, to come and spend time with us to talk about, you know, the, the Panthers, free agency, you know, the, the draft and the draft prospects, you know, that we're discussing um, each week is always um, a pleasure being able to do this with you. We're always grateful for the time that you spend. Again, if you 
like what we have to say, you know, please uh, rate and review. And uh, last but not least, subscribe. You know, we're on Spotify. We're on uh, Apple iTunes. Um, we're in lots of different places. If, if, if you can get podcasts somewhere, we are probably there. I think that is probably the, uh, the safest thing to say. So with that, I think thank you for listening and uh, goodbye, everybody. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, did you? I, I, I lost you for a second. You can find me at Panthers Culture on oh, Twitter yes. and Vincent Richardson at the Richardson 444 on Twitter. Always looking forward to, to having, having these open discussions with you and talking about uh, prospects and whatnot. So, so thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, have a great day. Goodbye. Peace. Yeah. Mm-hmm.